Good morning, welcome warehouse. Those of you who braved an extra hour of sleep to be here, well done. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I was so thrilled that I woke up this morning. I thought, yes, one more hour. This morning we are in week seven of an eight-week series called The Kingdom of Me. And one of the things we sought to do in this entire series is define what in the world we are talking about. The reason for that is not simply because kingdoms are often lost to us, but the idea of the kingdom that God has a kingdom for us, the kingdom of God that we often get in the way of experiencing for us is a difficult notion. In fact, as you go through the stories of Jesus, if you, honestly, if I, if I can only read in the Bible you know, one small section, it would, it would always be the Gospels. I love watching the life of Jesus and how he taught. And he continued to give illustrations and metaphors about this thing he called the kingdom of God because, quite simply, they had no idea what he was talking about. He was trying to present a picture of a different way of living that, that was far beyond some rules and regulations and was far beyond anything they understood of religion to a picture of a holistic life where they experienced him in such a way that all of them, every part of them, came alive. And it was foreign. And so over and over again, he gave illustrations. He'd say things like, the kingdom, it's, it's, like the, it's like the pearl of great price. It's like somebody buying this pearl in a field and selling everything to buy that field because it was such, such value. And then in other places, he likened it to a gathering at, 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 a, at a wedding. And over and over again, he wanted them and us to understand that he had something for us that was bigger than our current conceptions of what life and relation to God look like. Part of it, honestly, is I think at the time as he spoke to the religious and non-religious people of the day, it wasn't all that appealing to look at religious life. I, you know, I look at his, his followers and, and so often they, they looked at those who were leading the religious movement, it honestly made them depressed. The only thing they saw was rules and regulations and anger, and they really didn't want any part of it. And then Jesus came, and it was completely different. Completely different. So over and over again, he tried to explain it. I have something, I have something for you that will make you come alive. A relationship with God that affects everything. For me, that's always been an important concept. I grew up outside of the church. I found the whole concept to be actually irrelevant, boring, tedious, and foolish. Other than that, I really liked it. And I came to faith outside of all that. And I remember in conversations I'd had with people where one of the biggest things I had to get past them was the conception they had of what Christianity looked like. And so at Warehouse, one of the things we do over and over again is try to get across the conceptions that we have so often of religiosity are just false. They're, they're the things we've created. They're the things we've seen. They're not what Jesus offers us. We are unabashedly a church that believes in Jesus and that what he brings to us changes all of our lives. And so, the kingdom of God. Our contention is that the kingdom of me, our own thoughts, our own misconceptions, so often get in the way of what God wants for us and the life that he has. And so, Jesus illustrates it over and over. One of the ways he illustrates that is the difference, he would say, the difference between what I'm offering and what you're taking yourself is life and death. Seriously, it goes that far. It's just life and death. If you, if you live in your own kingdom, apart from the relationship with you you're made for, it will, it will feel like death to you. And when you relate to me, you will come alive. This song by Foo Fighters explores some of that concept, death to life. 
Welcome, Warehouse. Hard to embrace, 
hard to figure out, and yet, that is the new reality. See, last week when Mark talked about our movement into the kingdom through following Jesus through obedience, he talked through in detail what Jesus had done is he had brought humanity back to himself through his death and resurrection. He had made people aware of the fact that something was missing and they were apart from him. And now he was going to do this miraculous thing and die for them and rise again if they believed that they will have a relationship with God for which they were made. And that's an awesome concept. And you stop and go, that's, this is great. Seriously. So, you mean Christianity, I get to be forgiven. And Jesus loves me enough to die for me. This is, this is awesome. Are we done here? Just begins. Because at that point, when you or I personally receive the death and resurrection of Jesus for us, we are forgiven. But then he comes to reside with us. And he comes to bring the kingdom of God in us and through us by his very living, vital presence of the Spirit within us. And that's what we're going to explore today. So I'm going to look with you in one of the uh, gospel accounts. This is the Gospel of John. And there are four gospel accounts, four stories of life, life of Jesus in the Bible. We have recorded for us. John is, I think, unarguably the most personal of those four. You see more intimate details of Jesus relating to people, and you, you get sort of an inside track. Some of the others, you see more big events and things like that in stories. This one, you see more personal, intimate contact between he and his closest followers. And in this passage, Jesus gathered with his followers, and, and he's speaking to them about what's going to happen when he leaves the planet. Now, it's a, it's a, you really should read the section before this on your own. It's, it's, it's really funny because Jesus is talking about the fact that the presence of a God was in, is within him and, and the one of them, Thomas, who is often good for asking questions. Thomas looks at me and goes, we have no idea what you're talking about. Seriously, we, can, you just, can you just show us God? And he goes, Thomas, hey, hang with me. <laughs> I'm God. Okay. And he says, look, just, just trust me. Just, you, you know, I'm preparing a place for you. You know the way. Thomas goes, we don't know where you're going. Seriously. <laughs> Thomas, I'm the way. I'm going before you. But I am leaving the planet. And as he lays all that out, again, they're like, I'm not sure I'm with you. Jesus moves on. He says this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. <clears throat> For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So, this is what Jesus tells them. I, as a physical human being, am going to leave. However, I'm going to send another. And you will experience the presence of God with you. What's fascinating in this passage is how much Jesus hammers this concept. In three different ways, he's going to try to drill in the concept that the presence of the Spirit of God is coming to live within you and I. 
Now, the reason why he has to drill that in is because, seriously, stop for a moment. The presence of the godly universe is going to come to live within you and I. Okay, it seems a little freaky, and so Jesus hammers it home. He begins by saying this, and I'm going to pull out three concepts for you out of this that get this across. If you love me, I'll ask another, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. The word advocate in the Bible really means this. It doesn't mean what we think it means in terms of like, you know, somebody's going to sort of make the case for us. The word is a beautiful word that has this idea of the one who comes alongside. It's the one who comes to the aid of another. It's the one who, as I'm walking down the road, they come alongside, and they stay with me and next to me. So Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit of God, and he's going to come alongside you. And then he amplifies it again, and he says, when the Spirit of God comes, he will reside within you. Now, you know how in, 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 in Southern speak, people say this, where do you stay? Which means, yes. Well, it, yeah, uh, if, you're, if you're from the North, you're like, whoever you are, just keep going with me. This is awesome. I mean, it's like, yes. Where do you stay? I don't, when? You know, what do you Southern's funny. Anyway, and then what they mean by that, those people, what the Southerners mean by that is where do you live? Where do you stay? Where do you reside? Where do you find your home? Where do you never go from other than where's the where's the base? Where's the anchor for your life? Where do you stay? This is what Jesus used when he says this. The best way to translate his word is he will stay. So what Jesus says is, okay, this is what's going to happen. Okay, I'm going to leave. They're like, ah. Then he says, I'm going to send another. The Spirit of God. And he'll come alongside you. And then he'll stay. In the southern sense. Where's his home? You could say to the Holy Spirit, where do you stay? I stay within you. And he takes it one more step. Because still they're going, I like Jesus. It's a little weird. He takes it one more step. And he says this. And then I will not abandon you. It's not temporary. I won't leave you. Now, this is a really, a really strong word. This word is often used with the idea of a husband leaving a wife. In that period of time, okay, when a husband leaves a wife, a wife leaves a husband, it's never good. However, in that society, wives didn't abandon husbands. Husbands abandoned wives. When a husband left his wife, the wife was destitute. No way of supporting herself. No way of providing for herself. Literally abandoned. So I'm not going to abandon you. I know so many of you experience moments where the thing that you think will never end, what you have found and that you have loved, it's lost. The things you've hoped for for so long that you had in your grasp, they're gone. And we hear those messages, and some of us hear them stronger than others of us do. The messages of abandonment, of the temporal fleeting nature, nothing good ever lasts forever, right? We've even turned it into a cliche. Nothing good lasts forever. We know this. This is true, right? Nothing good lasts forever. There's always an end. What we love and what we hold dearest, it always is fleeting. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, I'm coming, 
I'll reside, I'll stay in the southern sense, and I will not abandon you, ever, ever. There won't be a moment I won't abandon you. Why is that important? Because we really think, we really think somewhere deep down that the reason why people stay with us is because we didn't screw up that much. Thank you. I'm going to give him a seat right here. <laughs> really, because we didn't screw up that much. But if they did, if they did, seriously, if they really knew, if they really knew, they'd be gone. Come on, you know that. Tell somebody the whole truth. They really knew me. They'd be gone. One of the great consequences of the sin and the fall that we've experienced in our life is things get broken over and over again. They get lost to us. And in the midst of that, Jesus knows. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what it was like the first time you read the Bible. The first time I read the Gospels, I was overwhelmed. I was not a Christian. I was not interested in being a Christian. I was interested in reading the Gospels. Don't ask me why. I know now why. I was interested in reading the Gospels, and I did. I fell in love with the person of Jesus. There was something about him that was so absolutely compelling. He gave these messages that my heart longed to hear, that resonated. And one of them is permanence. I won't go. I'm with you for the duration, for the long haul. The kingdom of God, God is a kingdom of God, is a completely different thing. That's something that only happens in Gloucester, Massachusetts. It's never a good idea when you make yourself laugh. Okay, so. The kingdom of God is a place of permanence. Where we stay. It's a place we never get kicked out of. It's a place we don't lose our place. It's a place that Jesus gives to us. He rescues us. He forgives us. He connects us to Him and we never, ever lose it. Okay, I can stop right there, but wait, there's more. Here's why. As fueling and as filling as that is, it's the beginning. Jesus at that point says, okay, you're in. Now, experience the kingdom of God in all that it has for you. This is just the beginning. Because we don't know. We don't know what it looks like to live in a kingdom where love doesn't end. We don't know what it looks like to live in a place where our connection with the, the God of the universe is so tight that it can't be separated. We don't know what it looks like where I am not in the way of the things I most want. We don't know what it looks like for our desire to come fully alive. We don't know what it looks like to not sin anymore, to not break relationships, to not break other people's hearts. We don't know. And so in the midst of that, Jesus says, you are in. Now, let's begin. Not begin so that you won't get kicked out. It's so important. If we believe we get kicked out, if we mess it up, we'll never be able to give ourselves to it. Give yourselves to it now because you can't be kicked out. Now, let's begin. And in that process, in this passage, Jesus begins to talk through with us how transformation happens. How we will know. How we will know what it looks like to live in the presence and in the kingdom of God. 
if you love me. You will obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and I'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. This is what God wants for us. This is the process He has for us. This is how we begin to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. I mean, this is good. At this point, we're going intentionally, intensely practical. I mean, this week about three specific ways that God calls us to experience and to know what it means to live in connection with Him and in connection with the kingdom of God. And the first thing He says is you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn the basic principles of what life looks like in a kingdom of love, because you don't yet know. And so when he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands, he says, you're going to have to know what the commands are. And you're going to have to learn that those commands are both smaller and bigger than you would have thought. When we hear it, we have to crush these thoughts in our head about what it means to follow God's commands. What we have, seriously, what most of us have in our head when we think of follow God's command is a list of rules he's put on the board. Some of them we didn't even know about, and then we broke them, and we were up. And I didn't even know that. Really, the speed limit dropped to 55, I didn't know. It didn't just happen to me, just in you know, random illustration. He says, you're going to know my commandments, so you're going to have to learn what they are. You're going to have to learn what it means in intricate details to love God and to love others. And so he gives us this, this Bible, and he says, I'm going I'm to teach you. But the first thing you have to do once you get in is realize you're beginning of the kingdom of God, so learn. Learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The second thing you have to do, follow this is really tricky. To be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to follow. I know. Brilliant. Follow. The gap between knowing, yeah, I just think this is funny. Aristotle used to believe that if you knew the right thing, we would do it. And I go, seriously, Aristotle, what, 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 what peyote you want? What were you on? If you know the right thing, if people know the right thing to do, they will do it. That, that's not been my experience. Sorry. <laughs> there is a gap between the knowing and the doing thereof. And so Jesus says, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to obey my commandments. Know them, and then actually follow them. That's the gap, isn't it? Sometimes we know, but where comes the will to follow? We'll talk about that in a minute. So you have to know you have to know it. You're gonna have to follow it. And then you're gonna have to listen to me. At the end of this section, what Jesus says is in verse 25, all this I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is saying, you have to listen to me because you will hear a voice. So, really simple. By the way, when we get to this point, when we get to this point, I have to be honest with you, I don't think it's that helpful yet. Okay, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to follow. You're going to have to listen. Off we go. Uh, but then there's God's promises and God's heart, which match up with this. God says, I'll teach you. You need to learn what the kingdom looks like. I'll teach you. Now, here's a, one of the really powerful things is that let's say, let's say you never really read the Bible, or 
or haven't read much, and you go, okay, so I guess I'm supposed to be there to learn. What happens is, this is what God promises us, as we read the Bible, the power of His Spirit will teach us. There's a passage in, later on in the New Testament, a book called Hebrews, and this is what it says, Hebrews 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow and good for the judge, the thoughts, and desires of the heart. Something magical happens when we take up God's word, what he gives us, we read it, and his Holy Spirit speaks to us. And then it's like a double-edged sword, and it actually pierces. And I've had moments where I'm reading something, and I just knew. I knew what I had not known before. I knew at a core level something my heart needed to know, and I knew, and I hadn't known that before. Because God's Spirit promises to teach us when we pick up His Word and read. So, God says, I'll, I'll teach you. And then you need to follow. And God says, I will empower you. The idea of the Holy Spirit coming to live within us is that He's going to give us strength to follow Him. He's going to give us the power, the empowerment to actually be able to follow the things He calls us to do. Because there is the gap. So often, don't you feel like you get to this point where you know the action you're supposed to take, you know what it is, but something within you can't take the step, you can't do it. You lack the will, you lack the strength, and you say to yourself, that is really the issue. Of course, isn't it? How do I do this thing that I know I need to do? And it's in that place what God promises us to do is by His Spirit to give us power to do what we know deep within our heart we ought to do, to love the one we don't want to love. To forgive the one we don't want to forgive. To lay aside the nonsense in our life that we know is killing us. God promises to give us power in order to do that. And finally, He promises to reveal Himself to us. And I'm going to teach you, I will strengthen you, and I will reveal myself to you if you will listen. Now, practically. Very, very practically, what does that mean? Let's say you say, I want to go deeper. I want to experience more of this life that God has for me. I don't want to stand just at the door of the kingdom of God forgiven. I want to experience what it means to learn how to love in ways that I never knew how. What does that mean for you? Well, that's why God brings us together. That's why there is such a thing as a church. Now, a church is one of those things we have to redefine. Because when you hear church, I don't know what you think. But you may think, big building. And then you walked in here and you went, this is not a church. I know people actually say this to me. So when are you all going to get a church? <laughs> this is it. Don't you like it? Church is not a building. Church is not me either, by the way. I'm not the church. I'm a member of the church. Church is not a doctrine. Church is not a big organization. Church is us. Church is a collection of people who choose to follow Jesus. That's who the church is. That's all it is. And so God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. got a better life for you. Bigger. Bolder. I'm going to be present with you. But then what I'm going to do, I'm going to gather you all together. And that gathering all together, I will allow, I will in the things that I teach you to come more fully alive. So what does that mean? Okay, let's say, <clears throat> I'm, this is what I'm, going to do. I'm going to do an exercise in what you must do so it's going to be absolutely blunt. Things that only you can do to grow to experience the kingdom of God and things that we can do for each other. Let's start here. Only you can read your Bible. 
Again, this is not from your rocket science. I can't read your Bible for you. I can't. Only you can read your Bible. Now, here's what it often gets sideways. If you, on a Sunday morning, are expecting what I give you, what I teach you, the number of passages I use, to be all that you need for a given week, as if you walk in and say, okay, look, it's really been a very long week, and I just need a, I just need a shot of some God stuff. So, Bruce, can you, you know, give me a good big shot? Ah, it's got to last seven days, so make sure I get enough. Can't do it. Can't give you enough. Don't have enough. It's, it's, it isn't even humanly possible, no matter how much I do. I could sit you here for the next six hours and read the Bible over and over again to you. Okay, in six hours, I couldn't read it over and over to you. But I could read large sections of it in six hours. It's not enough. Can't do it. Only you can read your Bible. What we can do together is help one another to understand how to read the Bible. When I pull out those words in the passage, what I want you to see is that you can do that unabashedly. I get no cuts from this. Netbible.org. Use it. I am committed now to continuing to show you how to use that. It is an amazing tool that allows you to read your Bible and understand background. Only you can read your Bible. Our job together is to help one another learn how to do it. Only you can follow Jesus. I can't do it for you, nor can anyone else. Michelle Olofsky, who she was a member of my family, would now be owed $20 by me, because I'm using her as an example, and I didn't get her permission. But it's good, Michelle. If it was bad, I'd probably owe you more than $20. Michelle Olofsky has taken a huge role in our Christmas Toy Story. By her work, hundreds of opportunities are being opened. One of the things that we can do, and we are committed to do as a community, as a church, is raising up opportunities to serve. But no matter how much work Michelle does, she can't serve for you. I, I, I want you to hear this really clearly. The Christmas Toy Store is going to happen. It will happen with great results. People's dignity will be raised. People's joy will be raised. I say this as kindly as I can. So if you're not really having any issues with volunteers there, which is why I can do this one. This is going to happen... Whether I volunteer, or you volunteer, or not. What won't happen if you or I don't volunteer is we will not experience the power of having God's strength to follow Him deeper into the kingdom. We can create opportunities only you can serve. And if you don't, you'll not experience the transformational power of what it looks like to get outside yourself and love somebody else. When you come here on Sunday morning, this is my hope. My hope is that you will see more of who God is. But, for example, you look at the stage. The band is going to lead us in worship in just a few minutes. And they will, in that moment, attempt to reveal some of God to you. But if that's what you believe is the only place you will hear God's voice, it's not enough. 25 minutes is not going to do it. If you believe you need to connect with God in prayer, and that room back there is the place that you do it, once a week you do that, it's a great thing if you do it. But if once a week you go back there and connect with God in prayer, it's not enough. 
you put your kids back in kids' warehouse and you believe that every Sunday, that's enough. That's what will take your kids. Everything they need to know about Jesus is not enough. The church together, when we gather in small groups, when we gather on Sunday mornings, attempts to reveal who God is and what his kingdom is like. But the listening has to happen for each one of us as we move from here. The kingdom of God is a place of beauty, power, the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of ourselves. And the only thing, the only thing that's getting in the way of you and I experiencing that, having our heart continually resonate with that, is us. We're the barrier. And the barrier often is responsibility. Action. Today when you walk out of here, if you walk out of here going, that was really funny what he said about God. It was, unfortunately, it was unintentional. But if you walk out of here remembering something about my message, you say, that was good, and, and sort of like, like you got a snack that's going to carry you through, it's, it's not it. I want you to walk out of here. I want me to walk out of here. Deciding that learning how to love God and love others is a bigger, bigger picture than a once a week or twice a week or five times a week. And I myself will choose to act this week. I will choose to learn. I will choose to follow. I will choose to listen. These three things will lead you deeper into the kingdom of God. I will choose to learn how God wants me to live. I will follow him when I hear his voice telling me, and I will listen when he reveals himself to me no matter where it is. Those three things, if we do them, because God has already given us the power of the Spirit, you will understand and experience the kingdom of God for you in actual daily moments. And so my only last thought to you is this. Are you in? It's all before you. God gives you himself. He gives you his kingdom. Jump in. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us past the Reddit since it's often in ourselves. We ourselves form the barrier to the things we actually want. The peace, the joy, the power that you have for us. Lord, today I pray that something would click within each one of us. That your spirit would reveal yourself to us in such a way that we would go, yes, this, I want more. I want to know you. I want to know the life that you have for me. I want to go beyond the mere forgiveness that you give me. I want to live the kingdom life of knowing you, following you, hearing you. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to come within, to live within us. And now, Lord, by your Spirit, strengthen us 